Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. And for the second week in a row, we have, a, we have an enjoyable podcast for you. Because Spurs had their annual hilarious victory over Manchester City with a 1-0 win at White Hart Lane. And we are all here to break it down, as is the uh, yearly tradition for Spurs fans. Joining us from the wilds of South Florida, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, how did you celebrate uh, this annual holiday um, by doing the same thing I do every year, um, which is just tweet and um, just lots of tweets about um, how bad city are pep being a bald fraud, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. And from the slopes of East Atlanta, uh, we have Ben Daniels joining us. Ben, how did you uh, celebrate the holiday, or have I already uh, spoiled it for I'm, our listeners? I, I'm on the slopes now too. I've joined Brian. We got to mix it up. We got to mix it up. Powder. He really, he just reversed him at the beginning, and then you know, he's like, I, ah, this is what I'm doing this week. The last season of Snowfall is coming out. I'm just, you know, I'm mixing it up. It's part of our, it's part of our spawn con. Uh, yeah, I didn't do anything. I was insanely hungover on Sunday, unfortunately, so I just sort of nursed that with the good feelings of a victory. So I was like, at halftime, I was uh, invited to go get Mexican food for brunch, and that sounded really promising given how I was feeling, but I was like, uh, no, we're actually playing pretty well. I'm going to see this out, and as soon as I made that decision, I was like, I made a huge mistake. I could be eating tacos instead of watching us lose 4-1 to Man City. Uh, but it turned out watching Spurs was the right decision for a yeah. change. When, when you told me that, I was really going to, like, like take a sh- like when you, when you said that, I was if we lost, like, 5-1 to City, I was going to take a shit in the box and mail it to you. I was so mad when you said that. <laughs> yeah, did my best to jinx things. But But you know what? Our ability to jinx things is nothing compared to City's ability to balls it up against Spurs. Because it is funny how, what I find really funny about the City curse against Spurs is not only do they constantly lose key matches to Tottenham, but they've done it to a variety of managers in a variety of different ways to a varying degree of quality from Tottenham. This one, I think, was actually pretty good. I don't think Spurs you know, stole anything from City. I, I I don't know if I'd go as far to say we outplayed them, but I think we played very well. And I think even with some questionable lineup and tactical decisions from Pep, I think Spurs deserve a whole lot of credit for that, especially with a replacement manager, who actually, apparently in his, like, five appearances in the dugout between Spurs and Inter is undefeated, so maybe Stellini isn't a problem at all there. But uh, I think it's a, I think this was easily Spurs' best game of the season. Uh, ben, since you did your level best to rob us of this joy, uh, what did you think of it? I mean, I thought we did outplay Man City. This was fully deserved. Like, we were in kind of peak last spring form. Like, maybe we weren't scoring a whole bunch of goals, but 
you know, we were defending as a unit very effectively. Um, individual brilliance all over the pitch. We were countering really, really well. And, you know, there's that brief period in, like, the middle of the second half where you're like, we keep having these great counterattacking opportunities and not scoring the second. We're definitely going to blow this. Um, but we didn't. And, yeah, I mean, we still had, you know, the best chances of the match. And, I mean, City were in it, but I never really felt like we were going to lose other than just some weird Karvik Spurs debacle. Well, in my memory, Brian, you correct me if I'm wrong. I remember, I think it was Mares hit the underside of the the bar. Yep. And yep. other than that, I mean, all the nervousness was just like, surely it's City, surely they're going to get their act together. It did not feel, you know, we it, at no point did I feel like we were just under siege in the way that, you know, you can against a much better team or a Pep Guardiola team. And it was just a very confident performance from Spurs. Yeah, I think, you know, despite what some of the possession stats showed, I think, I mean, going into halftime, it was 65-35 or something like that. And I don't I don't know what it ended up being, although I suppose I could look. 65-35 is what it ended up being for the game. Um, you know, I they didn't seem to do a lot with that possession. And like you said, the, the Mara's opportunity was probably the best look that they had. Um, even though they outshot us and had more shots on goal than us, I couldn't tell you when those were or how they came. Um, you know, I, they just they didn't do a lot with the possession. They weren't finding Holland. Um, our defense was just really good. Hey, ben, do you have any theories as to why Holland was totally invisible in this match? Boy, I sure do. Uh, <laughs> Christian Romero put the fear of God in him. Yeah, I mean, I what mean, a dumb tackle. Oh, first. dumb? That wasn't dumb. No. That was inspired. Are you kidding no, me? Well, no, it's dumb because he eventually gets sent off. No, the tackle on Grealish was dumb. Like, why are you leaving your leg out like that? Like, he didn't just leave his leg out. Like, he stretched his leg extra far just to trip him. When he had Emerson right behind him, there was, like, not any real, like, threat. That was stupid. The tackle against Holland was, like, very, very deliberate. Like, he knew he wanted to send a message to that man, and he did it as far away from his own goal as possible so he could put the nastiest challenge possible with the least amount of consequences, and he completely shook that man. Um, because Holland he is like weak. The, he's not half the striker that Harry Kane is. He's a flat track bully, and he can't handle it when he has to play a real man like Christian Romero. Yeah, I mean, if you watch, there's like a you know Christian Romero highlights package from the game going around Twitter that you can find. Um, you see how well he bodied up to Holland all match, um, winning headers over him despite being smaller. You know, sticking feet in, just roughing him up. There's that moment um, when Holland like kind of like tries to grab at him and Romero takes like a total flop in our box and wins a foul. Um, he was just like in his head all day long. And it showed. It was the first match all season that Holland didn't have a touch in the box or a shot the whole game. Like he was just a non-factor. I'm, I'm not a player. I've never been close to a very good soccer player, but I got to think that with, I feel like with Holland, so much of it, obviously he is a phenomenally talented player, but 
and, and a physical freak. But there's an element, and I wonder how much of it is, you know, this guy's reputation is enormous. And everyone's and between that and his talents, everyone has to sort of play off of him in a certain way. And, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend I've watched a whole lot of City. I certainly am not going to pretend I watched a whole lot of Dortmund. But I wonder how many times he actually gets challenged like that by a defender, especially on a team like City. And obviously Romero is this sort of unique blend of technical skill, physical aggression, and sort of Eddie Guerrero, like, you know, like mind games. Like, you know, so he's a very difficult defender to deal with. But I, I wonder how much of it's he's just, you know, it's, it's a matter of like, you know, someone stands up to the bully. It's like, all right, what are you going to do about it? And Holland just was sort of not prepared for to be sort of played like that. I imagine like the main difference for Romero is that he actually has the skill to go with, you know, the physicality. Cause I'm sure that there are center backs at, you know, clubs further down the table that have tried to body Holland and been unsuccessful because that defender then lacks lateral agility or, you know, the mental acuity required to deal with him or whatever the case may be. So uh, that that's what separates Romero from all these other guys that he not only can he back it up with his play because he is strong he is physical but like he also just has the other physical tools in his locker that a lot of these other center backs don't well he also plays for a team that whatever you think of Spurs have some capability to take it to city I mean especially Spurs uh, have have an ability to take it to city but you know he's not playing for like a Burnley or uh you know um and Everton, who are just going to be at a total rear guard action against City for 90 minutes. Like, I mean, you know, we're going to be launching hey, counterattacks. Hey, hey. <laughs> speak respectfully of Everton this weekend. You're right, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but, yeah, it was just I, – I, I loved it. You know, as a fan of – in American football, I watch a very nasty defensive team in the Ravens, and I'm certainly used to the Ravens deciding to get up foul for unnecessary roughness early in games just so receivers are hearing footsteps all that all. For, for the not for the sixty minutes, um, so it was nice to see someone just put a reducer on Holland like that. And also, I'm kind of sick of he- about hearing about Erling Holland, especially since City aren't doing more to catch up with uh, Arsenal this year. So it was nice to see someone uh, really, you know, chop him down to size. Um, we all know that now. We know that Erling Holland's a fraud and a flat track bully. Uh, so let's talk about a real striker, uh, Harry Kane, who is now Spurs' all time leading goal scorer. I was, we had a bit of a Kane love in a few weeks ago, but I was sort of blown away when I didn't, I guess I didn't realize till this match that he's only played for us for nine seasons, which simultaneously feels like an eternity and so many seasons, (laughs) but it's also like for a guy who just became our all time leading scorer, it doesn't feel like as many seasons as it should to reach that milestone. Yeah. I mean, you feel like the Greaves number was something that would take, you know, a decade or more to even come close to. And I mean, he's still got half a season left basically now. And so you have to think that he he's going to end this season far beyond uh, Greaves. And then, you know, next season and the season after that, if he never leaves, which of course, why would he ever leave? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's been so special to watch him these last few years um and you know even when he had you know quote unquote down years or when he was injured he still just gave us such good and consistent performances and that's how he got here you know 
I'm not going to do the math, but like, you know, he averages what, like 24, 25 goals a season, probably. And if you'd have told all of us that in about 2007 or 2008, that we would have a striker, we had a striker in the academy that would go on for a decade, basically, to average 25 goals a season. Uh, You'd bite your hand, you'd bite somebody's hand off for it. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've said it all the other week about how much we love him and how great he is, but um, it's really cool that he got this this record because um, I, I just never thought anyone would even come close to it. It was a great moment to happen, too, in, at home against Man City, who's our whipping boys. Like, it was just a, a perfect occasion uh, for him to hit that milestone that, you know, he's been kind of, like, hovering around for so long we've been watching him creep closer and closer towards um but yeah it's i mean it's 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 special you know for him to be who he is and have the relationship he does with the club and the fans and i hope this inspires him to stick around so he can break shearer's record with spurs well, so that, that's an interesting conversation. And I, I guess I don't want to get too far down this hole because we're going to have opportunities to talk about it again, and I, I want to come back to the game eventually. But, you know, I mean, I certainly fell out of love with Kane a little bit. Um, a lot, actually. When, you know, he was trying to force his way to City. As I think we all did. And, you know, there is a certain... I, th- I think there's been... How should I put this? I think Spurs fans are maybe a little more fond of Kane than Kane is of us. I think... I would say he is a little more passionate about playing for England than he is for Spurs, which is understandable, but you know, I, I'm not English, so I don't, you know, I, I may, might feel differently about that than some of our English friends, but there's a, you know, I, I've really appreciated this because, you know, I've sort of rediscovered some of the joy of watching Kane and watching him sort of like, you know, find his feet again at Spurs after his dalliance with city. But how do you guys feel about, you know, keeping Kane around, having him sign an extension, because, you know, I think we've had a conversation on this podcast. We've certainly talked with friends about the virtues and, you know, the, or the pluses and minuses of selling Kane at various points in his career. And obviously a lot of that I think is paired with conversations about his health, which he's always, you know, come out on top of in ways that I think not all Spurs fans have thought he would. But I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's worth the sort of do you think the sort of emotional value plus his production is worth keeping around? Do you think we left like a valuable opportunity on the table by not cashing in when we could? Cause I think at this point, you know, whatever happens with Kane, I don't think Spurs are going to get a huge payday out of it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing is, is you missed your opportunity for a huge payday and, you know, on a club legend and a player that'll go on to break your club scoring record. Like that's, probably an okay opportunity to have missed out on especially when you consider that you know our our record for doing business and replacing star players isn't exactly great um but yeah i think overall i'm happy for harry kane to continue playing at at spurs as long as he wants to um you know i i think i think he does love the club i think he you know appreciates uh, everything about it. I think, you know, we've done so much as a club to cater to him um, that it would be, it'd just be so weird to see him wear any other ever. Um, even if it was like Bayern Munich or Juventus or, you know, somewhere abroad, it'd just be weird to see him in any other kit. And um, 
you know, I, I, I have no interest in getting rid of him. I, he can play till he's 40 for Spurs if he wants. I don't know. Like if he's willing to accept, you know, the, uh, the Giroud role and, you know, be a sub and come on in games and, you know, bring in other players and what a great love to have him around. He seems like a great professional, great role model, great person. Why wouldn't you want him? Yeah. I mean like a better run club than us arguably should have sold him at the time and reinvested that money to make the overall squad better as it was kind of in a transition period and falling apart. Um, but like we have done well to replace around him. Um, you know, we've made a couple of good signings in January, a couple of good signings last summer and last January. Like we're starting to rebuild this team in an effective enough way that jumping came now feels like what, what's been the point of any of the last five years from a, from a squad building standpoint. But more than that, like the, you know, the odds of turning Harry Kane into something that is better as a whole than what we have with him are not high enough to compensate for the emotional joy of having Harry Kane on this team in whatever shape it looks like. Like, that is always great, is seeing him score and seeing him out there being one of the best players in the world, you know for Spurs, from Spurs, um, you know, you're just not going to replace that feeling with someone who isn't Harry Kane. I think there's two sides of this, and if I'm being unfair to a lot of our friends and, you know, ourselves who have talked about replacing Kane over the years, I, I, I mean, because I don't think this is easy. I think Kane is a really hard player to replace, which is the reason I'm kind of glad he's ended up staying, even if maybe the club hasn't been run as well as it could have been. You know, it, a lot of the strategies that I've seen proposed over the years, like, oh, sell Kane and buy this striker, some of which, you know, we've proposed and talked about on this podcast, I mean, probably, I mean, would have turned into total disasters. And that's not accounting for, you know, whoever replaces Kane one day at Spurs. It's That's going to be a tough gig. That's going to be a really tough gig. And it probably would have been tougher if we sold him in his prime or before he was cooked, um, which he still isn't, to, to be clear. Uh, and... You know, I think we do underrate. There's been a lot of articles lately about how, like, the trophy conversation around Spurs and Kane in particular kind of has kind of, I think, become a little ridiculous, and it has led us to sort of not appreciating what a good player Kane has been for Spurs. And I think we're all a little guilty of that. In that, I mean, this is an extraordinary achievement what he's done with us, and I think there's real value to just keeping this guy around while he's still a productive player. And you know, I, I'm I, I don't know. There's maybe I shouldn't be as forgiving for with him after you know the city debacle, which was frankly pretty tasteless and handled not in the best of ways. But you know, it's it's I don't know. It's there's that quote in Moneyball: "How can you not be romantic about baseball?" That's how I felt this weekend. Like you watch him score that goal, you watch him on the pitch, you watch him making fun of the one season wonder chance, you know, on social media. Like how you're how are you not a little romantic about that? And I think. You know, Spurs Academy produced one of the best strikers of all time, probably the best English player of all time, and I think there's some real value to having that guy just around and having, you know, just, you know, if we're not his only club, his only club till he goes and plays for MLS or the NFL or something. Um, 
And I think that's a good thing. I've really come around on it. So the other thing is we're talking about him, you know, equaling or passing the, the club's all time leading score. And we're discussing him. Like he's basically old and washed. That's a good point. He's, he's 29. Like, you know, and, and, you know, there are still players, uh, that are, that are doing this, that, at the top, top level, at ages significantly older than 29. I mean, Benzema is, what, 35? Lewandowski is about that age. Like, I, I understand that, that maybe the le- there's differences in the leagues and the level of competition that we're playing week in and week out. But, you know, there's no reason to think that Harry Kane can't continue to do this for five, six, seven more seasons. I mean, especially if, you know... You know, his, he continues to adapt his game and adjust. Like, I mean, imagine him just being like a sort of, I'm going to be a football manager nerd and be like an N-gosh, where he basically just sits in the hole and then just sprays passes around. Doesn't have to run, doesn't have to press anything. Like, he could do that. For, and, and, and he could do that for years. And, you know, we could build a functional team around that, probably. Um Especially know. with him being like the Tom Brady disciple that he is, like you know he takes care of his body, you know he's like all about like the sports science and performance and whatever. And like if anybody is going to manage his early to mid thirties from a fitness and and health and wellness standpoint, like he's got to be one of those guys. Yeah, and he always seems willing to do what the manager wants him to do. So he hasn't been, as far as we know. I mean, aside from his. I want to go play for city. I mean, he's not a guy who's like, no, I'm a straight, you know, he's not pulling that Ronaldo thing. He's like, and he, obviously he's not at that age yet, but you know, he's clearly willing to move around and do things on the pitch that he's asked to do. So, you know, you always want to be wary about giving a guy who's basically going to be 30, you know, a big extension, but you know, every year I feel like we've had this all oh, Harry's ankles are shot. Like we keep having these conversations about him and you know, I, I I think at this point, I'm, I'm just kind of willing to, if anyone's going to beat the odds on, like, the aging curve, I think it's Harry. I mean, beat the odds is the wrong thing, but, like, you know, I think he's going to keep being a very productive player for maybe longer than I think some people think. And I think even even still, there's just value to having him around. Like, there's some amount of value to having a one-club one club guy uh there who is also a record goal scorer who is chasing the premier league's all-time goal scoring record like there's value to that even if he does start to decline um you know he like like ben said he's a professional he's you know he he's by all accounts one of the hardest workers on the team like have him around to to work with the next group of guys like you know whoever the striker you sign to replace him whether that's Richarlison or some guy after him, or it's one of the academy kids. Like, you know, he's a great example to have in the team to follow. And I I think, you know, that and just what he's worth to us as fans, like in our emotional valuation of him, like that's worth continuing to keep him around until he decides he doesn't want to play anymore. Right. And when we all met on the cartilage free captain comments, like 12, 13 years ago, and Harry Kane was in our academy. I know we're so fucking old. Uh, God, we've been on the internet for so long, guys. Why did we? <laughs> why did we do this? But like, I remember, you know, joking around half seriously about 
future phenom Harry Kane. Harry Kane time traveler. Yeah, like 13 (laughs) years ago, you know, when he was, I guess, a 16-year-old kid at the time. And, like, going, going on that journey with him as fans and, like, dreaming about what he could be, watching his loans, watching his injury setbacks to him finally getting his chance under Sherwood and, you know, that terrible free kick against Aston Villa that has ruined his mental perception of his ability to take free kicks. Hey, if that's the price we got to pay, man, like... <laughs> but, like, you know, his, like, breakout season in the Europa League under Pochettino, like, all of these things that we have witnessed over a very, very long time around him, like, I... Him leaving will sever, like, a really deep emotional connection that we've all built over a really long time. And I don't want that to go away. You know, I was like, I was looking at the the players. There's a moment where, like, Kyle Walker was, like, talking to somebody. I think it was Dyer. And it was, like, weird to see how few people from that team were still around. Um, you know, and it's, like, kind of both too many and too few. And it's just, like... Yeah, we've we've lost those those connections to those eras, um, and yeah, the the romantic in me is like still nostalgic for that and still emotional about that. And, and you know what? Like, there's something to this, and I know this is like a thing a Spurs fan would say to himself, and maybe it's a little sad, but like, if Kane's around when he lifts an FA Cup or. I mean, God, God willing, a Premier League or a Champions League. I mean, if we win a major trophy with him, I mean, think about what that's going to feel like for him. I mean, for him, obviously, but like, I, it's going to mean so much more for us to watch him hoist that because we've seen so many guys we love sort of come in and out of the club without being able to do that. And you know, I think, like you said, Ben, we've been on this not just some of Kane's journey; we've been on the whole damn journey. I mean, and and you know, especially. You know, and that's just us as like some nerds in America on a, on a message board. Think about someone like Windy who was going to his youth matches and you know really following him from Jump Street. It's you know it's it's I think there's a real emotional weight to having a guy like that around, and I I, I think we shouldn't dismiss it. And it's probably worth paying for a little bit of his decline, to be entirely honest with you, um, which I probably won't enjoy when it happens. But you know, it is what it is. Until he goes I mean, and he, joins Brian at Inter Miami. Yeah, I mean, if he misses two penalties next week, then I'm fine with selling it. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> he's got to keep it going. He's got to he's got to keep the form going. I, I you know, look, I, I think like Greg said, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast that you know this, this kind of greatest era of Spurs that we've all gotten to witness the last eight, nine, ten years, um, like. It, they they don't have that that trophy and um, yeah getting to see Kane probably more than just about any of them other than like Eric Lamella getting to see Kane lift that trophy is probably the thing that we're most missing out uh, as as fans but we're gonna do the double we're gonna win the FA Cup and the Champions League this year so um, uh, you know we've got that going for us it's gonna be great and it's all gonna start with a victory over Manchester City which is how it always happens. Um... 35 minutes into the podcast, we get to the game. I don't really... I I, I want to talk about how funny it is that we keep... We talked about it a little bit, but... Like, we keep doing this to City, and it's really funny. It's extremely funny, and... Like, I don't know. I never think it's going to happen again, and it does. Like, it's just... It's like someone's going to do it. It's never the same way. It's never the same people. It just keeps happening. 
I gotta say, like, it hurts a little bit to deprive them of a chance to close the gap on Arsenal. But if it was, if we were gonna keep this tradition running, I'm glad it happened in a week when they finally stumbled and yes. Arsenal lost too. So like, yes, they kept them from like closing the gap, but the gap didn't get any bigger. So we still got to have our fun. Arsenal's rattled now, you know, City can go on and win the league in a few weeks and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Now that Pep's learned not to sit all his best players in important league matches after, after he played us. Yeah. Boy, did he get that lineup wrong? Can I, I hate Pep Guardiola. Like I really do not like Pep Guardiola a lot. Like he's such a, He's such a whiner, and his teams are. I think his teams. And I say this going back to Barca. His teams are dirty, man. Like those that, those tactical fouls are nasty, and they never get called on them. Like, oh, that was maddening. Watching the ref swallow his whistle every time. Like no yellow cards for City, despite countless cynical fouls from behind on breakaways. But that happens with every Pep team. He did that oh, back in like 2011 Barcelona. Like, like he always does this. Like. And it's just like, oh, it's the beautiful game. We got to swallow our our whistle. Like, oh, it drives well, he me. He might not be around for much longer. Fingers crossed. Um, he said if he was lied to by Man City about their financial fraud, he would walk away and would no longer be their friend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because because Pep, if there's if Pep Guardiola is a pure as the driven snow and and totally ignorant of what manchester city have been doing like come on yeah um <laughs> like he doesn't have like three bank accounts we don't know about that city are putting money into like come on yeah um yeah he's, he's a fraud in in many ways um financially footbally follically uh, follically yep very many very many ways in which he's a fraud um yeah i i I do love that every time we play City, the the goals that we score are the most comical bullshit that happens. Like, like, look, we've scored some really nice goals against them. Uh, you know, Kulisevsky's son. But, like, everything is always just kind of a little bit weird leading up to them. Like, you know, the 4-2 the match from a couple weeks ago, like, both of our goals were incredibly stupid. Um but great. And then this was kind of the same way. I mean, it, our part of it was very good. But the way that City allowed it to happen to them was just like very weird failures at the basics of their like sort of passing structures and everything like just absolutely bad all the way around. Right. They'd never get pressed out of possession that close to their own box. Like if there's one thing that they can do. It's play out of the back competently. That was but, worse than the than the when Lester passed it straight to us for for Bergfein's <laughs> second goal. That was that was terrible. But it's funny because like that's literally what we did to them in the in the match two weeks before. Like the goal we the first goal that we scored where Ederson makes the shitty pass back into the middle. Like that's basically what happened for for our goal here. Like. They, there's no way that they weren't prepared for this high press or the way that we were doing things. Like they, like they, sh- they should have seen it on film or in the game or something. But like they, they just looked so surprised that Hoiberg happened to be right there where the ball was being played. And uh, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's I hate great it for him. 
It's it's a real shame. You hate to see it happen to Manchester City. I there is something about Pep Guardiola, and I think Klopp does this too, where it's just like, and it's funny because this is actually a game I think where we played them pretty well. But like you know, if, if you don't pass the ball fifty times, you know, every minute or whatever, they just assume that you're like out there playing rugby, and it's you know, you, you, like how dare you sully the pitch that they are gracing us with their horizontal passing on. It's just, I'm, I'm so tired of it. Like, you know, he's bitching that it takes time to get from Manchester to London. Like, oh my God. Like, I, I imagine any, like, American fan of any American sports team in the Pacific Northwest is like, you know, their eyes are rolling into the back of their head. It's just, I... Right, a four-hour ride is a local derby here. <laughs> exactly. It's just like... I don't know. It's like, there's always an excuse. He's always mad about it. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'd be mad too if I were him and you just keep finding ways to lose the Tottenham no matter how good or bad they are in any given year. But it's just, he's such a baby. Even if that's true, even if like for whatever reason you had circumstances, you had a shitty trip to London that day. Like you just got your ass kicked by Spurs in their stadium. Again, maybe keep that to yourself. Like, Yeah, I mean, the only thing this match was missing was, like, a weird VAR decision. Yes, um, yes. I, those, are, those are my favorite parts of Spurs City, uh, is the ways in which VAR continues to find some sort of loophole in the rules that screws over City. Um, and, and this game would have been better for that, honestly. Is Spurs City a better rivalry than Liverpool City? Definitely. It's funnier. I mean, it's definitely funnier. Yes, because it doesn't have the fucking nonsense of Klopp and Pep, like, acting like each other are the greatest manager in the world and this, like, faux mutual respect that's so tiresome. I Like, I hate the way that they interact as managers and then still try to, like, fabricate it as, like, a deep, meaningful sporting rivalry. Yes. So no, there's no nastiness there. Yeah, at least when Pep is, you know, condescending about our managers, our managers have the good sense to ignore him. Except Jose, maybe. Uh, I, Pochettino got pretty irritated about it, too, so. Yeah, I, I just, you know. No, these teams don't like each other, and like City clearly don't enjoy playing, which I think should be prerequisites for any rivalry. Yeah, and I think, was it this match? I think I heard the announcer say during the commentary that this was the match where Kyle Walker had now officially made more appearances for City than for Spurs, um, which I found interesting because I've, wow. really cons- I've really considered him a City player f- for, you know, the last few years, and I thought that he would have eclipsed that number a long time ago. Uh, but, yeah, it's I just... I'd like beating them because most of their players are also very unlikable in the same way that their coaches. Um, we talked about Holland earlier. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I'm not really a fan of uh, of Grealish or Mares. I think has a very punchable face. They all have very punchable faces. I don't I'm think. Sorry, the... I'm still reeling from this Kyle Walker statistic. I felt like he was at Spurs for so long. Yeah. So that's I, I don't know. They said it on the the American broadcast. Yeah, no, the I game. just looked. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for double checking that. Uh, no, I, I know... I'm not. I didn't 
doubt you. I was just like, I had to check, like, how long was Kyle Walker at Spurs? Surely no. it was 12 years. I, yeah, I mean, honestly, I forget that guy's a city. Because everyone in the city is totally anonymous and, you know, has no personality. So, you know, he was much more fun when he was at Spurs. Like, dressing up like, you know, Skeletor or whatever and scaring them in the hallways. Yeah, those were the days. Remember we had, like, a social media that was, like, really committed to, like, doing little bits for the players? Does that still happen anymore? I a little bit. See that. A little bit. Yeah, we're too... Uh, we're too We've lost so much. For some of those. Uh, what is your favorite, I think I know the answer to this from all of us, but what is your favorite Spurs City match? I mean, there's no question. There's only yeah. one answer. Well, I, what is it? I was, cause... It's Champions League. Champions League quarterfinal. Okay, so it's not, it's not 2009. I mean, I guess that doesn't count with the, it's not the Pep era, but like, it's not the 2009-10 one where we knocked him out of the champ, or we, uh. I mean, look, no. that was that was fine. I'm just making no, sure. It's the, it's the Champions League. That used to be a lot of people's favorite Spurs match, so I'm just making sure. I mean, look, it was, that was a great moment a fairly long time ago, and yeah, it's still our first ever Champions League qualification, but qualifying for the Champions League is less good than beating them in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. On a VAR call the last minute bad. of, the, of yeah. stopping no, time. Yeah, no, that was pretty cool. We had the, the offside, the non-handball from uh, Lorente, like... Yeah, it's it's all good. I still like, don't think there's anything wrong with that. Hit his hip. I don't see a problem with it. Like, definitely hit his hand, but it doesn't matter. No, it didn't. It worked out for no, us. it didn't. Who was there? You know, our our handsome uh, alumnus was at the game this weekend, taking pictures with fans. What a legend! Yeah, no, I, uh, I that that that's just one of the best games. Like that, and then the the semifinal over over Ajax are like two of. The best game. Yeah, I didn't think... I remember when we beat City, I was like, I don't know the next time I'm going to feel this way after a Spurs match. Yeah. And Two the answer later. was... The answer was, yeah, like a month. Within a month. Like, and then and then a month after that, was like, oh, this isn't any fun anymore. I don't know when I'll ever feel anything about a Spurs <laughs> game ever again. Well, God damn you, Musa Sissoko. The thing about that City game, which is probably a better game than the actual Ajax match that we won, was like, it was such a wild match because it started with a bunch of, we were basically just throwing haymakers at each other for the first, like, 25 minutes. Sissoko, go, Sissoko goes off injured, and then it's just a rear guard action for the rest of the match that we somehow managed to, like, steal a goal out of. I mean, it was really incredible stuff, and God, I wish we had, well, I don't know if I wish we had that team back, because it was kind of falling apart at that point, but. Yeah, the Harry Winks Mrs. Zoko midfield is uh, not the stuff of dreams are made of. Well, when you're at a point where if you lose Musa Sissoko, it is totally falling apart. Like, that's where it's like, you're at a yeah. bad place. Uh, but yeah. You know, that, I'm going to make a segue here, but to another defensive midfielder who had a phenomenal performance against Man City, uh, the ever polarizing Hoybjerg, I thought, was. Just tremendous. I think this is what Hoiberg does, though, at least for me, where it's like he plays a few matches where you're just like, what the fuck? Why is this guy here? Like, Let's sell him, get him out of here, bench him. And then he puts together a game like this, and you're like, oh, why don't we play this? Like, why is this guy my favorite player on Spurs? Like, incredible, incredible match. Like, just all, like really good stuff. Like, the awareness, the, you know, his pass to Kane was incredible. Like, that he had sort of the presence of mind to just dink that out to him. Like, it didn't count, but his goal was so fucking good. Yeah. That chip. Yeah. 
you always hate it when a guy gets a disallowed goal. It's like you're never scoring any goal that good for the rest of your career. He's been quietly really good this season. Um, and I know he gets some stick for lack of pace or sometimes his um, lack of technical skill. But I, him and Bentoncourt have been a really good midfield. And put in conjunction with, you know, having really good Harry Kane, it's kind of annoying that we haven't been able to work out any of the rest of the pitch in terms of uh, supporting them. Um, yeah. Well, the thing I will say about Hoiberg, which I think is important for this team, especially a team that's had the season that's had, is I think one thing you never question with Hoiberg is he's definitely one of those like locker room guys that like you understand why a coach wants someone like that around. Now, that is not a reason to have them around. They also need to do other things. But that's why I think it's so encouraging when he puts together a performance like this because you can really see, like, oh, yeah, locker room leader, like, you know, really guts it out and, like, puts in the hard yards. And But, I don't know, he was very good. I, I don't know why he's not a little more consistent. Um, I don't know if that's more about him or the team around him. I think, honestly, it's down to load management with him. Sorry to jump in ahead of you, Ben. But, like, you know, I, we he plays so many minutes and he runs so much while he's out there, like – you know, you get to the end of the season or he's playing the third 90 in the span of seven days and he's, you know, he he's gassed. So I, I think the best thing that Spurs can do is is do more load management stuff with him, play more of Basuma or play more of Skip and, and rotate through the, the kind of competent midfielders that we have. Who play exactly and, like he does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like we're switching the style of play at all. Um, so, you know, just like we now have the ability to pull him off. Like we're not subbing him out in matches. Like I, he just never gets substituted out, but you, you have now the option to not play him from the start. Like Basuma gives you that, um, Skip certainly gives you that. I think Saar probably also gives you that. Like we can do other things. And I think if we, if we did better with his minutes, we would get those more consistent performances out of him. So I'm going to agree and disagree because I think that's both right, but I think also a lot of what you're talking about is, like, very theoretical. Like, yeah, Basuma should give us things. Skip could give us those things. Sar might give us things. Like, we really haven't seen it consistently from any of them either. And, you know, in in recent weeks with Bentinker out, it's like that midfield doesn't seem to function as well. You know, it's like when the two of them are together and fit and in form that is a real functional platform even though they're all standing we like you know dream of something more expansive in midfield like they are a really effective partnership and you know we haven't gotten to play a first choice 11 very often this season and you know as much as we bag on Conte and the limited sort of tactical plan that he has it's like when everybody's there it it starts to work and you can kind of see like, yeah, this is a bit boring and samey, but like, it's fine. You know, when Kulachevsky's out there humming and sun doesn't look like dog shit and, you know, Emerson's playing games like he played against city. Um, I guess we'll have to talk about Emerson in a minute. You know, Romero's healthy. It's just like, we haven't had all of these guys fit and inform together um, as a unit. And so, I don't know. At this point, I'm just like, yeah, play the, play the good guys as many games as possible in a row and hope that they can put something together. 
So we'll talk about the king in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I want to stay on that, the sort of what you just alluded to there, Ben, because Kane talked about how they had like a team meeting with Conte a few weeks, a, a week or two ago. Um, to sort of get back to what they do well is what Harry Kane said. Now, that is before our run of games against, I want to say, Fulham, um, Preston, and City, I think, are the game. Am I missing any? Arsenal. Ar- I think it was after Arsenal, wasn't it? Ars- no. Oh, all right. Well, that's not good. Never mind. <laughs> that kind of undermines what I'm saying. But do you think there's something to be said about our recent uptick no, in form? I think it was after Arsenal, but... Yeah, I mean, that seems like reasonable timing to have a meeting about after you've just been thrashed and looked like shit against your rivals at home. Yeah. Um, no, I I think certainly that we have looked more like the Tottenham that we have all enjoyed in the last couple of weeks. I think, you know, the the first City match doesn't, didn't really end, you know, in a in a positive way, but we were at least fun in the first half. And we went through a run there where we weren't fun in any half for a very long time. And then I guess it's hard to really evaluate Fulham and Preston, um, but they're they're two wins. And you know, what? I'll uh, say this: I, I want to stick on Preston for a second. We have played FA Cup matches under Conte and other other managers where we're grinding shit. We've done it this season where we just grind shit out, and it's deeply unpleasant. And as like mediocre as that first half was against Preston, we we beat the shit out of them in the second half and actually looked good doing it. And I think, you know, I mean, that's thing rule, but it is worth pointing out that we, we managed to put something together in that game. Without Harry Kane, no less. Yes, yes, that's worth also worth pointing out. We didn't have the, the Harry Kane, we didn't pull the Harry Kane lever in the second half like we usually do. Yeah, I mean, and I think if you're going to get back to playing a certain way or, or putting together a run, now's obviously the time to do it. I mean... You know, we're coming into uh, our Champions League run against <laughs> a Milan team that's quite frankly not very good. Man, um, they were so bad in that Derby game this weekend. I mean, I don't want to downplay our ability to play to the level of our opposition, but Jesus Christ, they look like dog shit. Yeah, I mean, what a wonderful Valentine's Day present for everybody <sighs> that we get our, we'll have our first Champions League match. Um, with them, I, you know, I, I'm really hopeful that, that, that this is what we're actually seeing. Like we're seeing a return to the way we were playing this time last year where, you know, the counterattacks are working and, and the ball is moving quickly from back to front. And, you know, no matter how much possession we have, we're defending well and we're scoring, we're taking our chances. Like th- that's all I think anybody has wanted was a return to last year. And, um, this match, especially against City, it just, it really did look like that because like the ball was getting out to Sun, and then Sun was carrying it up the field, and then you know not always immediately losing the ball, and not you know sometimes his carries up the field resulted in passes to players on our team, and you know there were still obviously some some kinks in it. Like we had a like I think Ben alluded to earlier a bunch of chances in the second half that looked like they were going to presu- pre, uh, end in shots, but just didn't. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think maybe it's just City. Maybe City just brings this out in <laughs> us. Uh, I don't know. But uh, but I, I hope that, like, we've stumbled back into whatever it was that was working last year. 
Yeah, I think the other exciting part about this is our defensive unit was functional. You know, like we're, we're the team who recently without, conceded. Without Pedro Poro. <laughs> yeah, that's a miracle. <laughs> but I mean, we were recently the team that was giving up two goals a game for like 10 games in a row. You know, everything was a mess. Conceding um, first, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Dyer had a great game. Royale had a great game. Ben Davis was good. Like, everybody did their job. You know, we were not conceding dangerous chances. No one was making boneheaded, stupid mistakes. And maybe it was just everyone was up for the occasion in a way that they haven't been up for other occasions recently. I don't know. Um, But, like, God, I hope this is something to build on and, like, these guys can keep that going and not revert back to that calamitous Tottenham of fairly recent weeks. Well, let's talk about, you know, the king of White Hart Lane, Emerson Royale, who just put together an all-time performance. I don't know if, like, signing Pedro Porro just lit a fire under his ass or what. Uh, it's got to be his best game in a Spurs shirt. I mean, just absolutely stellar on both ends of the pitch. Did a really good job. I, I mean, certainly was gr- pitch. He didn't do anything. <laughs> didn't do anything bad is what I'm saying. We, we didn't have, like, 50 crosses to nowhere. Um I don't know. It was just like, Jesus. Like, I mean, I, I don't want to say that like a performance like this means we wouldn't have had to have bought a wing back. Cause that's obviously not true, but you know, it was just very nice to see a player who's so maligned, just really turn it on and have such a sound performance and just not cause any problems for us. Yeah. He played in such a way that I, by the end of the match was like, you know what? It's okay. If we don't see Pedro Porter until next weekend, like that, like, I'd come in, like, they'd, they'd announce the lineup. I'm like, oh, he's not going to start him. He's on the bench, like, whatever. And then, you know, the game starts. I'm like, well, look, we'll be behind by two goals late on, so we'll need to put on Pedro Porro. Um, but we didn't because Emerson Royale was great. And by the end, I was just like, I just want him to finish this match out with some ridiculous clearance or, or something else, like, you know, to put Jack Grealish in his pocket and, you know, have the satisfaction that he got the full clean sheet himself. Yeah. I mean, he really showed why he's not a wing back, but why he might be a good fullback, you know, like he just doesn't really have it in his locker to do the kind of attacking third things that you want from a wing back, but defensively staying home and just, you know, playing against, you know, Grealish has had a rocky time at city, but is, I would say still one of the most exciting and dangerous wide players in the league. Um, and he handled him comfortably. Um, I mean, he was all over that. I think like, I, I don't know what's going to happen with him with Pedro Poro. Like we just spent 45 million pounds on him. Like Pedro's going to play, but you know, Emerson has had a few good weeks in a row now that it's like, what do we do with him? Do we? There's, there's just... worse things in the world than having a really good attacking wingback and also a very good defensive like fullback. Like, I mean, you can sort of figure out what to do with that situation. Right. I think. I mean, yeah, a game like this against Man City, it made it makes sense to play a guy like Emerson who can do that. We're going to be under pressure, and you know, other games against worst opposition, that's not going to be as valuable. But you know, just. Does he have a future somewhere else in the back line? You know, our left wing backs aren't very good. 
Um, he did have like a weird cameo during the match where he popped up on the left and did a really good job. Um, you know, Christian Romero is going to be out for a match. Can he play as like a right center back? Because I don't want to see Tanganga or Davinson Sanchez out there. Well, I got some uh, bad news, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I would look at this performance if I was Conte and be like, okay, I, I know we just bought a guy to replace him, but can we use this in another way? And I think it's also like I think no player has been sort of harder done by signing Antonio Conte than Royale because I think he is a perfectly good fullback like you said and we sort of bought him just looking for a good fullback and I think if you have a manager who doesn't play with wingbacks I think we're all pretty happy with Emerson but you know obviously he's just he's struggled to fit Conte's system and I think he's probably done you know he deserves some credit for the amount of effort he's put in in that system but you know he's just not a guy who's gonna like get up and down the pitch like a wingback is and you know I don't know it'll be exciting in some ways I'm glad Poro didn't come in in this game because you know, it's City, who knows, like, you know, he's still learning, he's, you know, he's been in training for only a few days, like, if it doesn't go well, who knows, like, you know, much better to put him in against a team like Leicester, you know, maybe Milan in the Champions League, someone who's a little less defensively sound or offensively threatening like City is, so, I think this worked out well for everyone involved. I mean, look, we, we've made, Pochettino made rotating fullbacks, like, his thing. Uh, you know, we all thought coming into the season that Conte had, you know, four competent, competent, quote unquote, wingbacks um, and that he was going to rotate them a lot more aggressively than he has this season. Like, I don't know. I think Royale and Poro give you the option to do that. Um, you know, they're they're different enough that from each other that, like Greg said, you can use use them situationally. You can use one in the Champions League or the other in the league, like, whatever. Like, I, I don't think this is causing any problems for us. Like, this is – he's going to find minutes. Yeah, I mean, look, competition is a good problem to have. You know, if you have multiple guys who should be starting, that's what you want. You don't want 11 guys and then a bench that you look at and you go, oh, fuck. I mean, that it's was been most of this season. It's been like we look at our bench and we're like, "Oh fuck!" Like looking at the bench against Man City, even though we didn't really use it or need it, it was like, "Oh wow, we've got we've got options here. Like we could we could mix things up if we need to." I mean, that's one of the things I liked about the window. Like, I, I feel like Spurs fans have been kind of weirdly dismissive about Dan Juma, considering like he's basically costing us nothing, and it's like for a team that's especially had like Richarlson's been hurt all year and. Um, Son's been out of form, like, you know, oh, you got a competent guy you can bring off the bench now all of a sudden who's not, like, a, you know, a 19-year-old or something that you're just hoping for the best with. Like, I think that's real valuable. Now, now, like you said, we can mix up our back line. We can mix up our forwards. Like, you know, in theory, we can mix up our – well, I don't know if mix up is the right word, but, you know, we could bring on different people in our midfield to do the same things. Uh, You know, it's – I don't know. I I think – I'm a lot more optimistic after this game um, and the last week in particular than I was before it. Boy, are we going to have a whiplash podcast next week, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that defeat to Leicester is going to hit oh, real hard. God. I don't know. I, I really hope Poro comes on and just fucking dominates so our in-before-viral reputation can just really take off uh, with Pedro Poro. You know, really that's the problem with Spurs. They should have hired us to scout players a lot earlier, so... 
Yeah, I mean, I play a lot of football manager. I could have <laughs> – we we could have had so many of these guys that are good at football now, but we're – like football manager said we're going to be good like six years ago. We yeah, but that's only if guys. Spurs also bought you plane tickets so you could go see them in pleasant European cities that you would like to visit. So. That is true. That is true. The the seeing them in person um, with like a lukewarm sandwich was the real key to that. Um <laughs> You know, I, I, if if Poro comes on against Leicester, uh, uh, he's got to get at least one goal and one assist, right? Otherwise, we should just send him back to Portugal. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Because there's no way that uh, Leicester are better than whatever that Portuguese team we saw was. Look, bet- between the fact that Pedro Poro is someone that we saw in person, we're very high on before our transfer interest was super clear. And what he did to Jao Felix. Like, I really need Pedro Poor to be a successful player for Spurs. Yeah. Uh, we've really hitched our wagon to this. Yeah. I can see no way this will backfire on us <laughs> for the rest of our lives. No way at all. And on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. That's cool. Comrade, you Spurs with a Y. <laughs> Brian, where could people find you on Mastodon with a Y? Uh, you can find me on, well, do I have Mastodon? Who knows? Um, <laughs> I can be found on Twitter still because it still exists at Brian underscore Ashlock. It's Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter uh, when it's still working at Skipjack0079. That's 0079 with a Y. Uh, don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And if you've listened this far, I think you're you know obligated to give us a five-star review. Maybe say something about our scouting skills so Spurs will send us the more exotic locales. For Ben, for Brian, uh, for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Uh, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>